Well, good evening. It's good to see each of you. I greet you in the name of Jesus tonight. Certainly the pedigree is short, that I can tell you for sure. And I, I see a lot of faces I know. You'll have to forgive me. I'm going to forget some names that you will be sure I should remember. But I am glad to be here with you. It feels like a home away from home. And I've seen many of you for years, so I enjoy the privilege of being here. I will just say, for those of you who might not know, that I am married. My wife Marty was going to come along, but that didn't turn out that way, so I'm here alone. We have six children. Our daughter, Andrea, is the oldest, and she has been married for a couple of years now, and then we have five boys still at home. The oldest is 21, and the youngest is eight, nine, nine. I should know that, shouldn't I? So we're certainly blessed, and we have much to be thankful for. And the most important thing that I am thankful for is the Word of God. And I appreciated the the emphasis of the devotional on the incorruptible. And I can just tell you right now that nothing I'm going to share this weekend is going to have any meaning or have any value. But what God shares through His Word, that is eternal, and that is powerful. And that has the ability to transform you from the inside out. And that's my prayer for this short week that we have together. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to take you tonight to Mount Sinai. And you might wonder what we want here. But I've just been gripped by this story and how it ties in then to the New Testament as well. I want to show you some things there that became new again to me. So I'd like to just look at several things here from this history account, but then also see the same God and the same word, the same purpose that is coming through for us today. So I'm going to start in Exodus 19. And the children of Israel are have left the land of Egypt. God brought them out by these miraculous plagues and finally had Pharaoh let them go and they crossed the Red Sea. Manna has started showing up each morning for them. Uh, they've already begun complaining about the conditions and the lack of water and the lack of meat. And so this is, we're not far into the journey but they're showing their humanity quickly. And we've now come to the base of Mount Sinai. And I'm going to pick up in chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. And I want to first of all notice this evening, what is God's purpose? Why did he bring them here to the base of Mount Sinai? What does he want to do? And we find that here in these verses. In the third month, When the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. Let me just stop there and tell you that's not March. That doesn't mean it's the third month of the calendar that we have. It's the third month of the Jewish calendar. And that's what we're talking about here. And it's also not the third month since they have left Egypt. We are about two months since they left Egypt at this point. They were departed from Rephidim. And were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount. 
And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. God is speaking very tenderly in that verse. He's saying, I rescued you out of Egypt. I bore you on eagles' wings. I brought you to myself. And now here's the purpose. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my commandments, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Let's stop there for a moment. So what is the purpose here? Why did God bring them to Mount Sinai? Why did he rescue them and draw them out on eagles' wings? Why did he bring the plagues upon Pharaoh and bring this people here? Well, he says, if they will obey him, he's going to make them his special people. It says here that they are going to be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. He says, all the earth is mine. I could have chosen any people, but I chose you and I brought you here and I have rescued you and I want to show you that you are my special people. God wants to pour out his love on this particular people. Now, I want you to notice as well that there's a condition here. What is it? If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my commandment. How are they going to experience this special relationship with God? By obedience to His voice. By obeying what He will tell them. And then it says that ye shall be, that's the promise God makes, so this peculiar people, this peculiar treasure, I will claim you as my own, God is saying. So they are loved by God. Then it says in verse 6, ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? A kingdom of priests. Priests were involved in worship. Priests were involved in the restoration of God's people. They were involved in a close relationship with God. What is he talking about? I believe the point here is that they would be accepted by God. Even though they were this rebellious people that were complaining already when they walked out the crossed the Red Sea, they barely got through, barely got done singing the praises of God, and they're complaining that there's no food. And yet God says, I'm going to make you accepted to me. And then he says, finally, that he's going to make them a holy nation. A unique, separate from sin, separated unto God, unique from all other nations, a holy nation unto him. Now, holy has the idea of being separated unto God. You know that it's nothing new to you. They were going to be a representation, this children of Israel, this special people of God on the earth so that all other peoples can see what it looks like when God loves and accepts a special people. That's what was going to take place here, and that's why God brought them to Mount Sinai. 
In other words, we could say that God is saying, when I'm finished here, you are going to be a peculiar treasure, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're going to be loved and accepted and a perfect testimony for me. And the people respond, all that God has said, we will do. Sounds like a pretty good promise, pretty good deal for these people. Then I want to read here further about an incredible encounter. Verse 9, The Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bonds, bounds, sorry, unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, thou shalt come up to the mount." And Moses went down from the mountain of the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. Let me just stop here. We've seen Moses up and Moses down and Moses up and Moses down. Let me just tell you, Mount Sinai is not Mount Everest, okay? It wasn't a three-month journey up this mountain. In fact, we're, there's some discrepancy about where exactly Mount Sinai is, but none of them are r- real tall. You can climb Mount Sinai in about two hours. So it's a short hike up the mount and a shorter hike back down because you're coming down. So we've had Moses up and down this mount a couple times. He goes up, talks to God. He comes back, talks to the people, goes back up the mount to tell God what the people said. Not sure that was necessary because God probably knew already. But And then he comes back down, and this is what we see going on here. So there was this preparation. That's the first thing we see. There was a cleansing that God said had to happen before they would encounter God. And there was this boundary that had to be set around the mount. I don't know what it looked like. It probably wasn't yellow caution tape, but it was something that made a clear boundary between the mount, the holy presence of God, and where the people were allowed to come up to. And if anyone crossed that and touched the mount, they would be killed, whether it was beast or man. And then you have this anticipation of the people, and it, we'll just read on here. Verse 14, And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. I don't know about you, but that gives me goosebumps just to read about that. 
Can you try to imagine? There was thundering and lightning, this cloud of dark thunder cloud head where there was lightning flashing down. There was fire coming down from heaven that connected to the top of the mount and the top of the mount was being burnt and there was this thick billowing cloud of smoke that was constantly rising into this thunderhead. And out of this there was this powerful trumpet sound that kept getting louder and louder. God's presence was clearly evident on the top of this mount. Let me read on in verse 19. When the sound of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee, but let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. So there is this interaction again where Moses goes up into this thick cloud, this fire, this lightning, and speaks with God, and God sends him back down to the, the mount with a message. And after he returns to the base of the mount... And he's spoken to the people. Then we come into chapter 20. And I, I don't know if I knew this before or realized this before. I'm not sure how you envisioned the Ten Commandments actually coming to the children of Israel. I see this stone thing tablet with the written Ten Commandments on it. And Moses brought them down and read them. No, that's not what actually happened here. God spoke out of this cloud, out of this thick smoke, out of this fire, and He spoke so that all the children of Israel heard. Look at what it says. God spake all these words, saying, and here He speaks, these Ten Commandments, and I'm not going to take the time to read them this evening, but He goes over each of the Ten Commands, and He's thundering this loud trumpet voice from the top of this mount down across this vast valley of people, the up to two million people possibly there below him, and he's speaking directly to them the commands that they need to obey if they're going to be this precious people, this loved by God, accepted by God, this holy nation that is going to be a testimony. These are the words they need to hear. I want to notice now, though, the people's response. At first we see eagerness. We read that already in the beginning of chapter 19. They said these words as, whatever the Lord says, that we're going to do. Because we want this relationship with God. We want this special engagement with Him. And there was this preparation. They got their clothes cleaned up. They got themselves washed. They came when the trumpet sounded. They came near to the mount. And they heard the voice of God. I notice also that God has this concern for the people and it's a very unique concern. And I might come back to this a little bit later. But notice here it says that God called Moses up 
After the fire appeared, after the cloud was there, after the mountain was shaking, he calls Moses up. And Moses goes up. Would you go up? Did you stop to think about that? Would you walk into that fire, smoke, thunder, lightning, shaking mountain? Calls Moses up and he gives him two things that he's supposed to go down and make sure the people know. Verse 21, go down, charge the people lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze. And many of them perish. That's a really interesting concern. Why is God concerned that they would simply come there and gaze? You know what that word means? It has the idea of being an attraction. Like something to look at. Something impressive. Kind of like when you go to the zoo and you want to watch the monkeys, you see this impressive display. God was concerned that these people would be so impressed by the show, but never encounter God. And then he also was concerned that they would have the nerve, if I can use my own words, to come into God's presence without sanctifying themselves. In verse 22, Let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And that is the idea that they would have sin, unclean hands, and they would come into the presence of God, and that is always a very bad idea. It's still a bad idea in the New Testament. That is why we have examination service before communion, and that's why Paul gave this warning that he's he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, what? Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. It's the same idea. Carries all through the Scriptures. You cannot come into the presence of God without first cleansing yourselves. You can't be there unless you're cleansed, and God was concerned about that. Then thirdly, I want you to notice how they respond here when God spoke from the top of the mount. Every person heard the Ten Commandments out of the fire, out of the smoke, out of the quaking mount, out of the thundering and lightning and among the trumpets. It says in verse 18 here of chapter 20, And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. Let me just stop there again for a moment. Did you notice it's the wrong sense that is activated here? God spoke and they saw exactly what God was concerned about. That they would simply be there gazing and seeing all this action, but not hearing. And I thought about the words of Jesus too. So often when he gave parables, he said, He that had ears to hear, let him hear. That's what needed to happen. Listen and obey. You don't need your eyes to do that. And I had thought about this much today. Our eyes, in the human sense, are really a hindrance in many, many situations. We should hear and obey. And when we see, we get in trouble. We should not walk by sight, but by faith. Again, that theme follows all the way through Scripture. God wants to speak to us, and He wants us to obey. But it says here that they saw, and because of what they saw, they removed. Now again, I just have to think about this. 
How is it that Moses, when God spoke to him, Moses went up the mount, the quaking, shaking mount, and into the fire, and into the smoke, and into the lightning and the thundering, and all the rest of the people said, we can't possibly go close to that being. we got to get far away. Shows you a little bit about the unique relationship that Moses had with God. The trust that you would need to have to go up that mount into that presence. But the children of Israel pulled back and they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, verse 19, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. They were afraid of God. They pulled away from God and they asked Moses to be a spokesman for them. You go close. Come tell us about it, but we're going to keep our distance. It's safer here. You know what other response I see? And before I show you, I just want to turn over to chapter 24 and read a little more context here of what had happened. Chapter 24 of Exodus. He said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, and they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which the Lord has said will we do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and rose up early in the morning, and builded an altar under the hill, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant, that's the book he had just written earlier, and read in the audience of the people, And they said, All that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, the other half now, and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. There's this covenant happened here. Sealed by blood, this promise that God had given, the commitment by the people that all the words that he said they were going to do, and then this blood that is sprinkled to seal this covenant. By the way, aren't you glad you're on this side of the cross, the New Testament? be kind of a messy service, wouldn't it? you imagine? I'm up here with a bowl of blood, half the blood of multiple animals, and I'm spraying it all over the place. Thank you, Jesus, for being that one perfect sacrifice. So there's this covenant made. And then in verse 9, Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. I don't know how to describe that to you other than what it says here. But what I want you to notice specifically is that these 70 elders, along with these other three men specifically mentioned, besides Moses, saw the presence of God here on the mount. 
I don't know what they saw of God, but they saw His presence clearly there. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel He laid not His hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua... And Moses went up into the mount of God. Did you know that Joshua went with Moses up into the mount? For the Ten Commandments? He did. And he said unto the elders, this is Moses speaking, Tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. If any man have any matters to do, you got to decide something or something needs to happen in the next little while while I'm gone, let him come unto them. So go to Aaron and her. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount, and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days, and the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Again, just think about this. Moses was on that mount in the middle of this fire, smoke, lightning, thunder, the presence of God, but there was no voice of God for six days. On the seventh day again he spoke. The glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and the seventh day called unto Moses. I read that. Verse 17. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. So that's what they saw from the camp down below. It was this devouring fire on the top of the mount. Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up onto the, into the mount, and Moses was in the mount forty days and forty nights. Now I want you to notice the third response, or sorry, the fourth response of the people here in chapter 32 of Exodus. When did this happen? Well, in verse 1 it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount. So while Moses is still up in the top of the mount, this account happens. The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. Now in one sense, it's hard to blame them. There's this fire going constantly on the top of the mount, and the man went into that fire, and we haven't seen him for 40 days and 40 nights. We don't know what's happened to him. On the other hand, the very presence of God is on the top of that mount. He just literally spoke to them all. They heard his voice speaking from the top of that mount. And they're already saying here, make us gods. Now just a little hint for you. If you need to make a god, it's not worth worshipping, alright? Anything you can make, not worth worshipping. That should be a clue. And then the gods that they're making are going to go before us. They might, but only if you push them. Anything you make, you're going to have to push or put an engine in it or something. So this is quite the God. You're making it and you're going to push it so that it's going to go in front of you. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said... These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Again, so time is important here in sequence. 
When did they come out of Egypt? About two and a half months ago now. This God was freshly made. Did he, was he the God that brought them out of Egypt? No. The one that's still burning the top of the mount, that's the one that brought them out of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, I'm not sure what the it is there. It would be interesting to know. I suppose as part of it is how quickly this idol worship was expanding. I'm more just the God. I'm not sure what he saw. But he built an altar before it, and Aaron proclaimed, made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Now when I read that, I stopped there and I looked at that and I wondered, what? who's this Lord? Well, you know, every time the word Lord is in four capital letters in the Bible we have, our King James Bible, that is the Hebrew word Yahweh, the letters of the Hebrew God, Yahweh, the creator of the world, the one that was still bringing fire on the top. So on one hand, they just built an idol, and on the other hand, they're proclaiming a feast to the Lord, the Lord Jehovah. They rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And I'm not going to read the rest. You know the story how Moses came down and found this altar and idol. What is the people's response? Can you fathom that while the fire is still on the top of the mount, while Moses is still speaking with God, receiving the Ten Commandments written in the finger of God, within a few weeks after they have made this covenant in blood and made this promise that they're going to obey all the words of God, that they're going to do it, they're already building an idol while they're worshiping God. Can you fathom that? It's absolutely staggering. This is the account we read. Now I have to ask, what about today? You know, I told you earlier that it was about two months after they left the land of Egypt, after the very first Passover there when they killed the lamb and put blood on the doorposts and the death angel passed over. It's nothing about approximately. It was exactly seven weeks from the time they left the land of Egypt, the first Passover, the next Sabbath they start counting and they count 49 days, seven weeks of seven days, 49 days, and the next day is Pentecost. Do you know that this account I just read to you is the very first Pentecost, and it is the what the Jewish calendar says is the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, or something like that. I'm not Jewish, so I don't know how to pronounce it. But this is a specific feast that they kept for generations now, and it is a feast that represents two things, the end of the harvest, or the beginning of the barley harvest, sorry, and the day that God gave the Torah, the law, to the children of, of Israel, that he spoke from the mounts. When God spoke the law, he said to them, if you do this, if you obey me, if you follow my commands, you will be to me a peculiar, special treasure, 
You will become a kingdom of priests and you will become a holy nation. God made that commitment, that covenant. Was God telling them the truth? Yes, God cannot lie. He told them, if you obey this law, you will be these things. God literally spoke from the top of the mount there, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. He spoke to all the children of Israel the words of life. If they obeyed, they were going to have life. You can read that in Deuteronomy. Now this is where it gets exciting to me. If we go back now into the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, you know this event as the day of Pentecost. Before I read, let me just tell you, do you know why all these people were gathered in Jerusalem? Because they were commemorating the Feast of Weeks. They were about to begin the celebration of Shavuot when God spoke from the top of the mount the law of God. This is the context that we have in Acts chapter 2. And it says in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, that's the disciples, about 120 of them, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. A lot of confusion about the tongues here, but it's really clear. They're speaking different languages. And it says, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born... I'm not going to read the list of where they were all from, but what did they hear in verse 11? We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. The day of Pentecost, again, God is now speaking the wonderful words of life, the wonderful words of God, on the first day of the week, on the day of Pentecost, to all these Jews that were celebrating the day that God spoke from the top of the mount, Again there's fire, again there's a shaking, again there's an obvious miraculous presence, but it's not on the top of the mount anymore, it's right here inside the heart. And the people now have the presence of God within them, the words of life. The similarities here are long and many, and I'm not going to take the time to look at them all, but do you know how many people lost their lives when the golden calf account happened? 3,000 men lost their lives because they were idol worshippers. Do you know how many people were saved this day on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 lives were saved. The coincidence is not coincidence. This is what God does when He fills His people with His Word. Now, I just want to read some other accounts here in the New Testament. In John chapter 14, when Jesus talks about this event, begin at verse 15. Remember what I told you God was saying to this special people that he had rescued, he, uh, the children of Israel, when he spoke to them in Exodus 19, he told them that he would make them loved and accepted and he would make them a testimony. And I want you to watch as I read these 
words here from Jesus if you don't see those exact same themes. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Is there a condition in the new covenant? Yes. Same condition. Obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that ye may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know, that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we... God the Father, God the Son, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the we. We will come unto Him and make our abode with Him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which he, ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Tremendous words of Jesus. And what is he saying? When the Holy Spirit comes, when the Word of God comes, he's going to take up residence within you, and you're going to have the presence of God inside you. And what is he going to do there? He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to help you understand the way of God, and he's going to help you and give you the power to obey the Word of God. Now go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now there, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, not with their eyes, if I may say it that way, but with their ears, after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let me just stop there and unpack verses 3 and 4. 
When God spoke from the top of Mount Sinai and gave the promise that if they obeyed, they would be this peculiar treasure, they would be loved and accepted of God, they would become a holy nation. He spoke truth. However, the people at the bottom of the mount were flesh. And they were not able in their flesh to obey. That's why it says here that God then sent His Son in flesh. So now God came down the mount, if you will. He became a man. He had all the temptations. He faced every trial, every temptation that we faced, yet without sin, the Bible says. And He proved that man could, in the flesh, obey those words of life. But even further, He then returned to God and He sent His Spirit to dwell within us so that we would have the power now, brothers and sisters, to walk in the Spirit in obedience to those words that bring life. And then is what it says here in verse 4, that the righteousness of the law, what God said from the top of Mount Sinai, what God now is speaking from inside the heart of every believer, that righteousness, that ability to be a peculiar, special treasure, loved and accepted by God through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, a holy nation that would be set apart from the sinfulness of the world, that's now possible because the Spirit is in us. And we don't walk in the flesh, we walk in the Spirit. Do you understand that? you see it? Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hang... Let me try again. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for any one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears." I would just say that this is a list of things not to do, things to overcome. And then the writer here makes a comparison. Verse 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. You know what that's about? Do you follow that? What account is he telling us about? The Mount Sinai account. You're not coming to a mount that might have been touched. You're not coming to a physical mount that you could break through the barrier, the boundary, and touch. You're not coming to blackness and darkness and tempest. That's the top of the mountain experience where Moses walked up to. You're not coming to the sound of the trumpet and the, the voice of words when God spoke from the top of Sinai and gave those words of life that they didn't obey. And this voice 
that they heard, they entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. What is that about? They said, don't let God speak to us. You speak to us. That's what he means. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceeding fear and quake. That's a quote from Deuteronomy. You can look up his account as he explains what happened to him while he was up in that mount. And But, he says, you are come unto Mount Zion. Now here's the comparison. Unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. You know, if I would have given you the list of things that is the new covenant and the new experience, I don't know if I would have put the church in it. But that's what he puts here in the list. You're before the church, he says, which are written in heaven. That's the all of us who have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. That's who he's talking about. And the God, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. He's making this comparison between what the children of Israel experienced on Mount Sinai and what every Christian experiences today. That's the comparison. And he makes this list of all the things that we will come before. Then he says in verse 25, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, that's the Sinai account, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made. If I may just borrow again from the devotional. The corruptible is what he's saying. Anything that can be shaken... Anything that can be moved is things that are here, physical, that are created, corruptible things. That those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom, a kingdom where we are loved, where we are accepted of God, where we are called to be a holy nation, that kingdom. We have received that kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God was a consuming fire, is a consuming fire. Brothers and sisters, tonight we are still prone to the same responses that the children of Israel responded way back in Mount Sinai. And the accountability that we have today as followers of Jesus is so much higher than it ever could be for the children of Israel because the Spirit of the living God is present here tonight in the heart of everyone who is a follower of Jesus. And He's giving us a tremendous warning And I just want to say tonight that it's possible for you as well, just like God warned them back then, that they they would simply come to God to gaze. That's still possible today. It's quite possible that some of you sitting here tonight 
are content just to be close enough to God and His people to enjoy some of the benefits, but have never actually experienced a meaningful relationship with Him. You've never walked up into His presence. You'd rather just stay far away. Just a little bit of God is good enough for you. That's still possible. Will you walk into the cloud? Into the fire? The Bible tells us to draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to thee. And if your feet are not shaking and your knees not trembling when you approach the holy presence of God, then you don't understand much about God. That's where God is. The mountain shakes. We are also prone today to enter His presence unclean. That was a second warning that God gave. You know, there are so many people today that profess a relationship with God but don't obey Him. That's only mixed up in our minds. It's not mixed up in God's. There is no such thing. We cannot approach the presence of God with sin hidden in our lives. We cannot disobey the Word of God and then come boldly into His presence. That doesn't happen. It cannot happen. And the power of the presence of the Spirit of God is that He enlightens us to those truths. And there is a way, there is a means for cleansing, a powerful cleansing. The blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect blood of this new covenant, washes sin. But only if you let Him. And it is a deadly mistake to come into the presence of God unclean. And brothers and sisters, tonight I also want you to know that we are still prone to idols. And the most deadly and dangerous kind are those where we combine the worship of the living God with worship of idols. That's what the children of Israel did. They still called a feast to the Lord. And I don't know what to tell you the idols all are tonight. But I just want you to think are there things in your life that would be really hard for you to give up? Is God not enough? Is God not exciting enough? There's a lot of things that can be idols. And if you're not sure what some of those idols are, I just challenge you to think about in our nation, and I say our, I mean Canada and the U.S., I think we're very similar in many things. What are the most exciting things that happen on Sunday today in our culture? Think about that. What would be the top activities of our culture if those activities also pull at our hearts? What's going on? Come to church, say the right things. But what it really excites you through the week? I've been in settings... I don't know you all that well here, so I don't know what you talk about when you're finished with the church service. But if I could block out certain subjects that are nothing but worldly subjects, would you have anything left to talk about? When was the last time you initiated a conversation to talk about what God has done, what God says, or what God is doing, or how you want to obey Him? We are coming to this consuming fire, the living God. And this week, I believe, just like he spoke from Mount Sinai, 
He's going to speak from inside us. And what are we going to do about it? That's going to be the question. As we all choose. just want to remind you of these words in Hebrews 12. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. And wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. That's who is speaking when he speaks. This week, as we hear the word of God, as God speaks, what will be your response? <coughs> Seek God. Seek his word, but seek it carefully and seek his presence carefully. Ensure that you are worthy through the blood of Christ to come into his presence. I'm going to invite you all to stand. We're going to have closing prayer, and then you can be dismissed. Heavenly Father, We come into your holy presence, broken and undone and unworthy, but loved and accepted in Christ. We come boldly to your throne. And Father, your desire is to make us a holy nation, a peculiar people, set apart, cleansed of all the filthiness of the flesh. Lord, you want to do that work in us this week. And we want to invite you to do it. And Father, as you speak to us through your word, by your spirit, as he guides us into all truth, pray that we would respond well this week to your voice. We welcome your presence and we welcome your voice. I pray in the name of Jesus. Bless us as we part from here.